everyone. Thanks for joining us for today's Prevention Talks podcast. I'm Janelle, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Heather. Hello, everybody. We are a part of Wichita State University's Community Engagement Institute and the Kansas Prevention Collaborative. We are also joined by our fantastic producer, Michelle Edwards. As always, send us your feedback or suggestions to kpcteam at wichita.edu. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. We have a wonderful interview today, but before we get to that, I want to share July's Prevention and Media. This month's Prevention and Media is the film-adapted Broadway musical In the Heights. In the Heights shows prevention protective factors through embracing culture, community, and finding your faraway dreams realized in your home neighborhood. You can find this movie in theaters or on HBO Max. And now it's time to hear from our guest. But don't forget to stick around after the interview to hear this month's Coalition Spotlight. Our guest this month is Crystal Rizelle Bennett. Crystal has been working with youth and families for nearly 20 years. She is committed to empowering, engaging, educating, and advocating in order to implement trauma-informed strategies for individuals and communities. She earned a Bachelor's in Arts in Psychology from Wells College and went on to complete her Master's in Social Work from Florida State University. During her career, Ms. Bennett has demonstrated a passion in sharing her personal and professional experiences with others to serve marginalized individuals and prevent re-traumatization. She has experience in directing child and youth service programs for the Department of the Navy with a history of providing program oversight and accountability in accordance with the Department of Defense, COA, and BGCA requirements. Additionally, she has consulted with schools on program development and has managed residential treatment facilities and foster care programs. Ms. Bennett is a lifelong learner and has provided education and support to foster families, facilitated psychoeducation programs for youth, responded to crisis hotline calls for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and trained behavioral health care professionals in the area of areas of human trafficking, suicide prevention, child trauma and maltreatment, motivational interviewing, racial trauma, cultural competency, and serving LGBT youth. Well, hi, Crystal. Thanks for joining us today. We're really excited that you were able to jump on and chat with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, I was just sharing a little bit about your bio, and um, it reads that you're a trauma-informed expert and self-proclaimed trauma thriver. Can you tell us what you mean by being a trauma thriver? Yeah, for me, um, being a thriver means being what I would call being comfortable being perfectly imperfect. Um, so for such a long period in my life, there was a, a time frame where I toggled between feeling like a victim and just trying to get through each day and trying to survive. Um, and and I couldn't I couldn't enjoy the moment, right? So I, I was constantly in pain. I had a lot of pain and in my back and my shoulders and the the base of my skull. I was really holding a lot of pain in my body. I felt the need to to control everything around me and everyone around me. And it cost me my friendships. It resulted um, in several years ago, I ended up being hospitalized as a result of that trauma being held in my body. Um, What we later found out was that I had experienced some swollen blood vessels in the base of my skull. Um, and, and that was really just purely because I was holding stress and trauma in my body. 
Um, and I, I quickly learned, you know, as a mom of four kids that I needed to make some changes in my life. And, and for me as a thriver, I'm not perfect and, and that's okay. Right. But it's about being more aware of who I am, being more aware that I'm perfect in all of my imperfections and giving myself grace and knowing that I'm not going to always get it right. And I'm going to have days that I'm just not okay. Uh, I think so often for individuals who've experienced trauma, we think that there's a, there's a perfect path. We try to get on this perfect path to healing, and then we're upset of ourselves because we're not perfect and we're not healing um, when we should be, or that we think we've healed and we've slipped backwards. And, and for me, thriving is being self-aware, learning to be more present in the moment and committing always healing, always growing and, and flourishing despite what my surroundings might be. So I heard you talk a lot about the physical pain and you're wanting to control that and thinking about Thrive itself. What, what um, inspired you to start Thrive? As far back as, as I can remember, my life's been filled with a lot of trauma. Right? And for most people, life isn't, isn't perfect. Um, trauma is a, a very natural part of our lives. Um, but I, I think everything came to a head for me around the age of 15. So I was a, a victim of abuse from the time that I was 11 up until the age of 15. But even prior to uh, the sexual abuse that I had experienced, I grew up in a home that um, was significantly dysfunctional. It was void of, of any love, void of any attachment. Um, there was just a lot of pain and anger around me. And as a victim of, of abuse, I struggled to feel any sense of control in my life. And I often felt helpless. I felt alone. I felt unable to trust anyone. Uh, and then I invested every single part of me in being perfect, uh, perfect and controlling every aspect of my life and every aspect of my relationships and wearing this mask to hide my vulnerabilities because I didn't ever want to be vulnerable around anybody again and be hurt again. So I worked tirelessly um, to, to try to fix myself. And when I couldn't fix myself, I tried to fix everyone else. Um, and, you know, which is what led me into the field of social work. Um, but what I learned over the course of time is through the power of connections and through the power of unconditional love and, and accountability and, and that learning about trauma and the impact that trauma has on the brain and the impact that trauma has on the body. I started my own process of healing, um, but I wish, you know, honestly, that it hadn't been such a, a long road, such a lonely road. I wish that there had been something or someone available early on before I had ended up in situations that, that were detrimental to me. Um, so for me, the creation of Thrive is uh, in part self-fulfilling because it's a way to hold myself accountable and to keep myself on the path to healing but also to work to create connections and to, to raise awareness. I want to be able to help others who experience victimization and, and to send the message that they're not alone. And although the path might not always be, be easy, um, it's worth it. And that I want to be that resource or I want to be a resource to connect to resources along that journey and to utilize my story and my experience to change systems and to change uh, approaches to ultimately change communities. I was making little notes, jotting things down as you were talking, because 
Um, well, first, we've talked um, quite a few times on this podcast about trauma in the body and how that affects everybody very differently um, and how people often don't realize that different signs that their body is sending them is a trauma response. So I love that you talk about that first and foremost and how um, that was kind of a wake-up call for you in many ways of needing to make a change. Um, Also, I can relate to you in uh, needing to control everyone to be perfect because, you know, you're trying to be perfect. I definitely relate to that. And um, so with Thrive, you've created, I've heard you talk about Thrive as a community. Tell us more what that looks like um, in the community. Absolutely. Um, So through Thrive, kind of the official services that are offered are coaching, consultations, so consultation and coaching with individuals or with organizations. Uh, Additionally, I do presentations and workshop facilitation um, with behavioral health care professionals, with schools, um, with parents, and, and with individuals themselves to facilitate healing around trauma and to facilitate Uh, conversations around how do we embed trauma-informed principles into our interactions with one another um, and into the cultures of our organizations. Um, So I strive to create a community of what I would call legacy leavers. Um, And and so, you know, legacy leavers is all about thinking that we all have the potential to change our narrative and to change the narrative of what trauma looks like and how trauma impacts individuals Um, And that opportunity to retell our stories, right? That even though trauma is a very big part of who I am, that's not the end of my story. And being able to really um, connect with people and individuals to create that atmosphere for storytelling um, and narrative therapy, to create your own story. Um, You know, at the end of the day, we will all be someone's ancestor, and, and to me, it's about what is the legacy that we are striving to leave? Um, so I, I love um, the community that I'm striving to create, the, the network of organizations, the network of individuals, um, and, and just feeling that strength that we're all here because we very much are trying to continue our process of, of learning the skills, learning the tools. Uh, and working together, because we certainly are stronger together, and those connections are very valid and matter, um, so that we can create longer lasting uh, legacies. It sounds like you're definitely doing the work to um, end stigma in around trauma and around uh, healing yep. and recovering from that trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will say that... Um, when oftentimes when individuals find out that I have experienced trauma in my life to the extent that I experienced trauma, there's always the shock or this surprise. Um, and, and when kind of inquiring around that shock or surprise a little bit more, it's kind of like, well, I wouldn't have thought that you, you're so successful. You're so, you know, you're so well put together and you're absolutely right. It's about eliminating the stigma of what does trauma look like and what does someone look like who's experienced trauma? Um, Because especially for me, that I've learned through my life to to try to keep it together because I've learned that when vulnerable, that that opens me up to being hurt. 
but I would love to not be expected to keep it together and to be able to be in spaces that are trauma informed and that it's okay if I just don't have it all together today. And that's all right. Right. And that somebody doesn't have to know my story to extend that grace, but just acknowledging that each and every one of us has a story and allowing that space to be safe spaces where individuals don't have to always be um, people that hold it together and present well and are in these um, various spaces and the recognition that trauma can impact any of us at any time. I want to repeat again, just for emphasis, that nobody has to tell their story to be able to receive the grace. Absolutely. You don't have to explain in order to receive grace. I love that. And I love that you put it that way. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Crystal, we work with a a lot of coalitions. And one of the things that we really strive to do on talks is provide them with resources and, and making them aware of such great resources such as yours. And you have a wonderful website and we're going to put it in our show notes, but I'm going to also spell it because I always think if you don't, if you just ramble off a website, there's always different spellings. So your website is crystalthrives.com and that is C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-T-H-R-Y-E-V-E-S.com. You have a lot of um, courses listed in that website that are available virtual. So again, more resources, which is exactly what communities are looking for. Can you give us an overview of some of those courses that you have your most of your energy right now behind? Absolutely. Um, so I would say two of the uh, biggest courses that uh, have been in high demand and are both NASW approved. So both approved for continuing education by the National Association of Social Workers, which is amazing and huge. And I just have to say that because I cannot be more proud um, of, of that accomplishment, um, you know, kind of moving from statewide to nationwide. And, and I love it. But um, two of the biggest courses are we have a suicide prevention course and it's called Black Youth Lives Matter Too. Right. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in suicide prevention with with all populations, young, old, various, um, various career fields. And, and right now that focus is very much on Black Youth Lives Matter, um, because there was recently a study that had come out that from 1999 to 2017, that suicide attempts rose by 73 percent for Black adolescents and that injury by suicide attempts had had increased by 122%. Now, these are numbers that are not out there. They're not readily available. And and for me, it's why are we not talking about this? Why are we not ringing the alarm? Um, For Black youth ages five up to age 12, they're twice as likely to die by suicide as their white counterparts. And there's there's no other explanation besides the racial trauma that's being experienced by these young people. And and the lack of a safety net and the, the lack of, of racial socialization. So talking about, um, you know, pride in our culture, pride in our traditions, preparing our young people to navigate the world um, and understanding the biases and the stereotypes, but also providing opportunity that's trauma free and opportunities for our young people to just be young people without the adultification and the expectation that, that they're older than they are, right? Allowing our kids to just be kids 
Um, so that's a major one. And additionally, I have another workshop and, and this one is uh, approved for ethics and it's called See My Color, Why Racial Color Blindness is Unethical. Um, so, so often I find in, in navigating or interacting with others and especially even in the professional realm is there's this idea of, um, you know, your race doesn't matter. I just see you as a human being where we're all the same, right? We all are the same inside. And while that's a nice gesture, the reality is, is that race is a part of who I am, right? I mean, we all have many facets to our identity, and I want to be accepted, seen, and appreciated for all those facets of my identity, my um, sexual orientation, my gender identity, my age, and my race, right? Being a Black woman is part of who I am. And if you're not seeing me as a Black woman, then you're not seeing me. Right? You're not seeing me and appreciating for all it is of who I am. And it's not that I want people to, to judge me or judge individuals based on the color of their skin, but acknowledging that where we come from and what our races are impact the way that we navigate life. And being able to say, I see you, I want to know you. I want to hear more about your story, your experiences, and I validate what that is. Um, so I, I definitely think that those are two big ones that just have a lot of energy, a lot of power um, behind them, and definitely encourage anyone to uh, check out the website, as mentioned, um, because they're, they're often uh, offered as live courses, and they're also offered as self-study. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. And I definitely hope our audience reaches out to those websites and look in our, our notes again for that website address and you'll find the correct address and you'll get there and get those great resources. All right, Janelle, I'll quit interrupting you. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, thank you. And Crystal, we, I could feel the passion that you had. You know, Heather framed it as what courses do you have energy behind? And we could feel the energy. Mm -hmm. You know, you definitely have passion behind those. And I love that they are approved for social work courses. Um, I think as um, Heather and I are both have both have social work backgrounds as well. And I think uh, there are a lot of positives about the social work field. And then the social work field, as many other fields also have a long way to go. Um, and so I really love those. And I'm excited. I pretty sure I still need my um, ethics credits. So I'm going to be checking out your courses. And I hope a lot of other people do as well. What do you hope when somebody comes and attends one of your courses? And I know it might be different for each one. But what is the main thing that you want people to walk away from your courses, either understanding or um, learning? So the big thing that I want people to walk away with is what I would say more than they thought they were coming for. Right? So often in this profession, we all have the checklist of the things that we need to take in order to maintain our licensure. And so say, oh, I'm due for an ethics course. I guess I better find an ethics course and I take it. I don't want that you just come to my course and you get to check the box and say, I'm done. That that's not what my courses are about. Uh, that's not what you will get. Um, so, you know, certainly coming and getting much more than what you thought you were coming for. Um, I've, I've had a lot of really great, uh, responses to courses, especially being able to also, um, offer them virtually. Well, people will say like, I showed up 
And I thought that I was just going to have your course as background noise and that I was going to work on other things. And I could not focus on what I was working on because I was so captured by what it was that you were saying. And that's a huge win for me um, is I strive to keep individuals engaged. It's not going to be lecture. Um, There will be aha moments. I can absolutely assure you of that. And not just aha moments because of what I'm presenting. But that there's that space that participants get to bring their selves into the space and share what their experiences are, what their knowledge is, what those skills are. And so it's not only coming to, to hear me uh, facilitate dialogue, but having opportunities to connect with others, learn from each other, get an emotional response. Um, and the hope that that emotional response really leads to some self-reflection and the desire to take some action, right? Because for me, a course means absolutely nothing if I'm not walking away with some additional tools in my toolbox and information that I can immediately apply to continue to better the work that I'm doing each and every day. I have totally just attended, you know, to check off boxes (laughs) and um, not very often do those courses challenge that mindset of you're going to get more than you uh, think you're getting out of this. And especially with some of the more required courses. So again, really excited and looking forward to uh, learning more about the courses. Absolutely. I really value your advice. I got to say just even this short little meeting. And I, so I would really like some advice on what you would give to um, community prevention uh, coalitions are doing the work and want to start doing the work to be more equitable? The first piece of advice that I would say is to recognize that it's going to be a journey, right? That, that this is a journey. Um, don't jump on board because it's a fad or because there's pressure to do so or that you need to make a public statement. Um, it is a journey and it is a journey that's going to be long. It's a journey that's going to be tiresome. Um, And it's a journey that's not going to be without any obstacles, but it's a journey that's worth it. It's a journey in recognizing that our liberation is bound by one another, right? That one of us is is not able to be successful if all of us don't have the capacity uh, and the opportunities to be successful. And so really answering the why right? Why do I want to do this work? And what's the cost in not doing this work? When you can create a vision in your mind of a worst case scenario that if I don't do this work, this ultimately will be the outcome, then that helps to create the vision of how do we avoid that outcome and create something um, going in a different direction. Uh, As working to, to do this work is making sure that you're activating and you're elevating the voices of those that are most impacted, right? That there, there needs to be work that's being done that's genuine. Um, there is not space, there is not time, there is not the energy for performative allyship. Uh, and, and, and the reality is that that creates, creates more trauma. It creates more harm. Um, And at the end of the day, don't do the work because you're expecting to be acknowledged as a hero or because you want to pat on the back, Um, because there should not be this need to to get a pat on the back. Right. This is work that morally 
we should all be doing. And you don't get a pat on the back for doing things that are the right things to do. Uh, And last but not least, I would say don't stop, right? I mean, as a country, we are certainly a country that is founded um, with a a lot of racism that's embedded into every facet of and every system that's that's part of this country. Um, And as we navigate spaces currently that many of us continue to uphold systems of white supremacy. And I say us with myself included, like you don't have to be a only, it's not only white individuals that are upholding systems of white supremacy, right? That many of the um, careers that we're involved in and many of the systems that we're involved with were really founded on structures of white supremacy. And so um, any attempts to try to dismantle, it, it's like, going on a, a moving walkway and we're all on this moving walkway and we're heading towards a terminal and the terminal is racism. And in order to fight against racism, we have to turn against the masses and we have to turn the other way and we're running the other way on this moving walkway. And as anyone who's ever tried to do that, it's pretty exhausting, right? And there's many times that you're going to want to Put down your bag and you want to going to take a break. But every time you take a break, you're going to continue to move the other direction back towards upholding systems of racism. And so don't stop. Right? Yes, the work is tiring, but don't stop and build your pot of people, build your your support network so that when it does get tired, you have others that can help to, to lighten the load. Um, but that it's a, a matter of that one, when one of us gets tired, you have other people that help to push you along, that help to carry some of those things that we keep going in the direction that we need to be going, regardless of people yelling at us, regardless of people screaming at us, cussing at us, threatening harm on us. We have to keep going. And that's why I'm so big on this, this concept of, of being a legacy lever, because There were so many times as I think about my own ancestors and think about the fights that they must have put up and those fights of resistance throughout their life and feeling like they were at a place where it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how much energy I put forth. Nothing's going to change. But they kept fighting. And because of that fight and because of their will to keep going and not stop, that's why I get to sit here today. That's why I get to have this conversation today. So there's so many stories in our history where people thought that the impossible was possible and they did create those possibilities. And so that's what I ask that as the work begins, find that why, create that path and keep going and knowing that that when you don't feel strong enough, draw on the strength of our ancestors to keep going and to know that as long as we don't stop, there is hope for a, a better tomorrow. Thank you, Crystal. That was. Oh, yeah. I don't. I yeah. That I, I can't think of anything else to say, but thank you. Yeah. And I wish I had. I wish I uh, had powerful words like you, so that I could show just truly how much I appreciate that. Yeah, that advice. I think the the best thing we can we can do here, especially um, Heather and I, is to again encourage everyone to um, check out your website, crystalthrives.com. Um, sign up for the virtual courses. This is just a a snippet of um, what you can hear and learn from Crystal, um, support her organization, Thrive. 
Um, and also just going back to the statistics um, that you shared when talking about uh, your course, Black Youth Lives Matter too. Those statistics are not acceptable. Yeah, shocking. And um, you're right, they're not mainstream. We don't hear um, those statistics. And especially for community coalitions, we we look at statistics, we look at data a lot. And um, for those statistics to be out there and us not paying attention to them, not holding those up in order to change the way that we're working on stuff um, is important for us to look at why and to to do things differently. So Crystal, thank you for um, sharing your story, sharing about your courses and your organization. Thank you again for the opportunity. I look forward to talking to you again, Crystal. Uh, uh, hint, hint, Janelle, I think we need to have a series. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was fantastic visiting with you. I'm all about it. You, you, you know how to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> This month's Coalition Spotlight, I'm sharing with our listeners Youth Substance Abuse Prevention Action Team in Kansas City, Kansas. I asked of Kansas City, Kansas Youth Substance Abuse Prevention Action Team a little bit about their history, and they shared in 2016, SAMHSA reached out to their organization and asked if they would be willing to host a coalition focused on drug and alcohol treatment and prevention. The hope was to pull together stakeholders to map resources in an effort to help residents more cohesively. Initially, this meeting was well attended with representatives from a variety of sectors. The coalition met for several months, but then lacked that direction. So attendance started to drop off. And those that were left at the table kind of disagreed on what the purpose should be. Some members from the private sector wanted to grow their own businesses, while members from the nonprofit community hoped to bring services to the underserved. Eventually, the coalition disbanded, but a few core members continued talking privately. In 2018, a group of of them came back together in hopes of beginning the conversation again, this time with fewer members to make sure we shared the common goal of helping Wyandotte residents affected by substance use disorder and implement youth prevention programs. The new coalition began and was meeting monthly. They worked very closely with Deanne from DECA on a strategic planning and developed a name, vision, mission and worked really hard in applying for different awards, such as the one from the K-Picky grant, which provided structure and guidance to their work. Since receiving funding, they've partnered with youth-serving organizations to create a youth-led marijuana education prevention campaign and a photo voice CPTED project. They've also partnered with local school districts and prevention organizations to support two evidence-based prevention programs implemented by the district and after-school programs that will begin in this fall. The reason it's not started sooner is because that's that silly COVID, so it was delayed, but it will be beginning this next fall and it's pretty exciting. Their mission is to mobilize resources to promote healthy, holistic lifestyles among the underserved in Wyandotte County affected by substance use disorder and mental health challenges. When I asked what they were most proud of, they said they're most proud of the partnerships that they've built in the last year. It took them a while to get the right people at the table, but now they really feel like they have a great team dedicated to youth prevention. They're also extremely proud of the work that their youth have been doing on the marijuana education campaign. They've designed some really great posters that have been placed all over town and within the schools when they get back into session. To learn more about the Coalition Spotlight and Youth Substance Abuse Prevention Action Team, go to the KPC website at kansaspreventioncollaborative.org. 
Prevention Talk listeners, join us next month to learn all about another coalition in Kansas. Thank you for listening this month. We hope you found it to be a good use of your time and energy. We are always looking for other good topics for discussion. If you'd like to be a part of our podcast or know of a good topic you'd like to listen to, hit us up at kpcteam at wichita.edu. From myself and the rest of the Prevention Talks team, thank you for the incredible work you do for our state. Thanks for building up your community, problem-solving compassionately, and pouring the best of yourself into everything you do. Be kind to each other and be kind to yourself.